Amen. Guys, how awesome is this, huh? Reaching out to the lonely, be in the community. Let's pray. Well, God, you are so good. You are so faithful. And Lord, I pray you would meet us all where we are. In our ups, in our downs, whatever we brought in, the victory and the baggage, we expect and believe that your word will speak. We trust you. We thank you for it. That, God, you would minister to your people today. In Jesus' name we pray and say, amen. Well, guys, how are we doing? It's been a month or so, and I like to kind of to recap where we are and to push us into what's next. And so if we just think about the world, how are we really doing? How have you been the last two or three years? You know, mask, no mask, shot, no shot, politics, no politics, travel, no travel. Talk about this or not, news or not. How are we in all of that? Because I love what Pastor Andrew said a few weeks ago. He says his kind of message to us as the church is calm down. And if you know anything about Liverpool, about England, I'm a scouser. You guys know what a scouser is? We are famous for saying calm down, calm down. Famous, known for that. And really that's the vision for the church, to calm down. Why? Because the Bible says 365 times fear what? Not. 365 times is God-specific, church, fear not. The Bible says be anxious for some things, no things. Cast all of your cares upon him. So Pastor Andrew wasn't saying this to be nostalgic, but why is it important that we calm down? Because for me, those three years, I would get the videos. When you're preaching this weekend, tell the church, this person's the Antichrist. When you're preaching this sermon, make sure they know this is where we are in Revelation. You say, Pastor, I wasn't awake when I got in here, but where are you going with this? Well, if you have your Bibles, amen, go over to 2 Thessalonians 1, and I say all that because where they are, they need to calm down. They are facing it. If you need a Bible, raise up your hand, use your phone. We're going to have a load of verses, and I'll tell you, they gave me about 25 minutes today, so this is going to sound way more like preaching than teaching. Amen? The church in Thessalonica is going through it. There's persecution. There's all kinds of deception to when the Lord is returning. They're saying He's already showed up. Guys, please put yourself in the Bible. This is like some of our members being killed this week for being believers. This is like someone preaching last week. The Lord has already turned. You guys have all missed it. And I say that because the Apostle Paul is writing to this church. Don't just think about churches today. There's churches in every corner. This was the birth of the church. This church had been birthed in Thessalonica. They had come to faith. They'd heard the gospel. They were maturing in their faith. And suddenly, all of hell is breaking loose. People are freaking out because of the persecution. People are stressed about all kinds of things. And so that we understand where I'm going today, and I'll say this. This isn't really a note-taking message. This is a message that you just catch. Amen? Go back and get the notes. But so we get where I'm going today. I'm going to start in 2 Thessalonians 1.6, where Andrew was last week, because this will set the tone. There's been persecuted. There's all kinds of deception. 2 Thessalonians 1.6, are you ready? Say amen. 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 He says to those he loves, amidst it all, whatever you brought in today, God is just, and he will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. 
And he'll give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. What he's not saying is if someone has hurt you or offended you, I'm going to go after them. What he's saying is because you are a believer, when you get to the finish line, you will see that it is all good. Amen? What he's saying is though sadly many will not make it. There's many who will go to heaven, but there's even many more who do not yet know Jesus. And this is where Pastor Andrew got a bit radical. It wasn't his fault. It's the Scriptures. Amen? Verse 7, he says, This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with His powerful angels. That's the picture. And He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord. This is important here. And from the glory of His might. On the day He comes to be glorified in His holy place, and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. So on that day when He comes to rule and reign, some will walk with Him in His glory, but many others won't. And He goes on and says to them, to us, wherever we are, this includes you, because what? Because you have believed our testimony to you. Let me ask you today, do you simply believe the gospel? God bless you. Do you simply trust in the Lord? Is your faith in the work of the cross? If you walked in here today with that, you have won. It is done. The rest of what you are wrestling with, though it is strenuous, though they said this, though you think that, though it is all going on, the flesh is weak, you have won. Amen? The church there is facing persecution. They've heard these powerful verses. There's all kinds of things going on. And last week's sermon was crazy. Next week's sermon, while I'm away in England, God bless you, it's that season, amen? Next week's season, listen to this, Pastor Andrew is preaching on the beach, and he is giving the craziest sermon in the next part of Thessalonians, but guess where I'm going today? They've given me, and not them, but God, God's sovereign, I'll blame him, amen? They've given me two verses, two verses that you could hear and say, Brian, these are the least powerful verses we might think in this book. These are the verses that if I was reading this, I would glance over, but I'll tell you this. I have to mention jujitsu at some time in the sermon, so I'll start now, amen? <laughs> Danny Bradley got his purple belt yesterday. Give it up to Bradley. He was here earlier. He'll be on security next time we gather, amen? But my point of this is with jujitsu. If you come with me and we start as a white belt, you will learn the foundations, and you'll never forget those. As you get a blue belt, you add to those foundations. As you get to a purple belt, you add brown, black, on and on and on, 40 years to red. You've added to those foundations. Christianity is no different. We can talk about tongues. We can talk about tithing. We can talk about predestination and all the rest of it. But the foundational truths in these two verses, when we sit for coffee, when life falls apart, when you're struggling with whatever, these are the foundation and verses. I would take these two and said, this is what I'm preaching last week and the radicalness of it to this week, but it's true. If you can grasp the foundation of these simple truths, and I'm not just saying it because I want you to listen to me today and stretch out time, amen? But this is rich. This is really rich. What do I mean? Is that here's what Paul says to us this week in verse 11. With all that's going on, he says, with this in mind, We constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling 
and that by His power He may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in Him. That's important. According to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. He starts off by saying, you've heard what's going on. Those people lost their lives. Life is crazy. There's deception. With this in mind, what does he constantly do? Praise. Paul prays and he tells us the nature of his prayer. Why is this important? Because Paul was raised up under a guy called Gamaliel. He was brilliant. He had all this wisdom, all this knowledge, knew the scriptures. I mean, this man is a scribe, a Pharisee, the tribe of Benjamin. And this guy wasn't just fishing one day when Jesus showed up. That's amazing in itself. He wasn't a tax collector or a prostitute. He wasn't someone that's out there and saying, you know, this, this Jesus guy, he could be the Messiah. He was on his way to kill Christians and the risen Christ with marks on his hands, on his feet, on his head, showed up to him, chose him, set him apart. Why is that important? Because of all the people I could say, tell me how to navigate this persecution or this false doctrine or whatever you brought into this church today that you're carrying, the Apostle Paul is a great person to encourage us. So Paul, what are you telling us you do? He says, I'm praying for you constantly. I could call this person. I could navigate that. I could send you some money. But you know what? I'm going to pray for you constantly. And let me challenge us. What do we think about prayer? When we pray, how do we pray? Is my prayer for God's kingdom to be lined up with my will or for my kingdom, supposedly, though we don't know any of this, amen, to be lined up with his will? Is the prayer for us to make God move on our behalf or for God to lead us to moving on his behalf? I mean, the scriptures are clear. Your kingdom come, not mine. Your will be done. On earth as it is where in starts in heaven, not with me. The famous verse we all know, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you, Matthew 6.33. Paul's talking about prayer and what really is prayer and even in that verse, Jesus in Matthew 6 is telling them not to worry. He says, don't worry about what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear and he goes on and says this in verse 32, for the Gentiles strive after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. A picture of the church is that we don't strive after food and drink and clothes. I'm not saying I don't have a fashion sense or care about this or that. Keep yourself together. But what he's saying is, no, we are in covenant with the God who made it all. Amen. The world's not. Jesus is saying, don't fret over these things. Don't worry about these things. And of course, I'm putting this alongside of what Paul's saying to the church. Now, if you want an extravagant lifestyle... If you covet this or a materialist or you have to have these things, the things you give birth to, you have to feed. Amen. If you have to have this, if you have to have that, you're the one that's your kingdom. And I say that to say, what is prayer? Guys, some of us have been killed, but Paul said he's praying. Well, what is he praying? James 4.2 says, you have not because you are. Ask not. Well, I guess we better ask. Did you guys ask? And then he goes on further. But when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. That could even be ask amiss in your translation. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So there's a way we can pray and the way that we can't. Paul is writing to us and of all that he could do or say, he's telling us he's praying, but what is it? 
What are the prayers we regularly hear around the world? Or were the prayers I read about in cards growing up or I seen on TV, were they more self-focused or were they more focused on the call of God? Even Jesus in that verse when he says, don't fret about what you will eat, what you will wear, what you will drink, he goes on and says something as radical, Matthew 6, 34. He says, therefore, Brian, branches, whoever is reading this, therefore you, I'm saying, Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Today has enough trouble of its own. Don't just not worry about food, drink, clothes. Don't even worry about tomorrow. Amen? And it sounds so good in church. It sounds so good when I'm worshiping with you, when I've had donuts, I didn't have any today, as I've drank my coffee. It sounds so good, but guys, we do worry. We do stress. We do walk these things out. What do I mean? I mean, life can be crazy. You think about all that goes on. People getting pregnant, people having children, people walking through life, people struggling. How do you navigate all of these things? And let's get real. real. When Jesus says, don't worry about certain things, don't worry about tomorrow, is there anything in your life that you can think of that even looks like that? Has there ever been a scenario in your life where you maybe didn't worry about this scenario the next day? Because there's only really one I can think of. When I was way younger in England with braces and a bald head haircut with a perfect part down the middle, we'll never show a photo of that, amen? Don't Google that. I'm saying this because when I was a kid, waking up early on those cold Liverpoolian days after playing too much Double Dragon or Street Fighter, When I jumped in the shower and came down those stairs and there's my perfectly ironed uniform and my hot tea with five or six sugars and all sorts of jam on toast, thank you, mom, amen, I never thought about it. When I went to school all day and came home and never thought about the food on the table, the love she was pouring out, the way my mom and dad took care of me, I had this kind of faith. And you know what I'm talking about, amen? God is saying, do you trust me that way? I absolutely never even considered that tomorrow I would have to think about anything because of my mom, because of my dad, yet God is saying, Brian, don't even think about it. If I woke up at six trying to figure out how to make that tea or coffee or jelly on toast, I would mess the whole day up, amen? And not only that, but my mom would be like, why are you doing this? You can be doing the same thing with God where you're trying to speak to the mountain and move it. You're trying to navigate everything. And he's saying, don't worry about these things. What do you call that? Childlike what? Faith. It's hard if we go eat right now and I say, how's it going? 90% of us are going to say, well, man, I'm wrestling with this and it doesn't involve today. I'm wrestling with that. What I'm saying is the Gentiles, meaning those who might not believe, don't have what we have. God has made a promise and I love where he goes with this because Paul says we pray for you constantly. I want to emphasize this so you see Paul's letters, 1 Thessalonians 1, don't go there. He opens up saying, I'm praying for you. Thessalonians 3.11, he stops and actually prays for them in the letter. Chapter 5.23, he stops and prays for them again. And here he is telling them how he has been praying for them. What does this say about prayer? It's the most valuable, valuable thing. Would branches be different if we did or didn't pray? One of my favorite quotes ever from a guy who's past now, an old school English revivalist, Leonard Ravenhill. He said, the pastor that isn't praying is playing, and the church that isn't praying is straying. You see, I can preach a lot of places in the week. I can go and serve a lot of places, but at all times, I have access to prayer, and so do you. Amen? 
And Pastor Andrew said something so simple in Teach Team today. He said, when you think about it, what's amazing is that Paul didn't have the phone, didn't have the email. So right now, you know, for my son, if he said, hey, something's going on in my life, I could jump out of the pulpit, text him, call him, FaceTime. I could pray right then. And you say, well, Brian, did you pray? We prayed. Paul didn't have that. We are hearing about our brothers and sisters in England and they're being persecuted. Well, what can we do? We're not hearing about it for a week, for a month, for months. So our prayer is God move in their lives. Our prayer is when you met that person who came or you know that person or your family member's gone there, these prayers were with expectancy and action. So when Paul says he prays, I'm not faulting our prayers. Amen. God knew we would have phones. God knew we'd have access to all the things we do. Text your friend, pray on FaceTime, do all of that. But why is prayer so amazing? What was he praying for? Verse 11. He says he was praying that our God may make you worthy of his calling. You might hear that and get a red flag because God made you worthy when you believed. The blood of Jesus was applied to your life. What can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amen? If you drop dead today, you're in Christ. You're worthy. But his point is, as you live out your life, there is a sanctification process. I know we can't speak Christianese nowadays, but we're actually allowed to speak the Bible. Amen? To say these things. Let's preach it. So he's praying that God would make you worthy. And what does that mean? The Christianity is a free gift. Faith is a free gift. But if I was to say to you today, a real serious question as you plan your 3, 5, 10, 50-year plan. If I were to say to you today, what is the only reason we are still here as believers? What is your answer? Why are they still in Thessalonica? You could have took them out. Why are they in Corinth? Why are they in Ephesus? Why are they going to be around at times in the book of Revelation? Why are we still here, guys? Is it just to grow old? It kind of defeats the purpose, right? I'm here just to wrinkle an age, and no one dies of old age. We die of something. Granny might have fell asleep and had a smile on her face, but her body failed somewhere. Amen? Why are we here? Is it for family? Is it to enjoy life? Is it for memories, to create wealth? I mean, couldn't have Jesus been way more specific with why we're here? I mean, we're all asking that question. Well, if I was to say, let's summarize the Old Testament, what is it? The Old Testament is simply the law and the prophets the commands of God that tell us, hey, we don't have this together, guys. You don't. I don't. Thank you, Lord, because we thinking it could be together would be a very bad thing for the rest of mankind. Amen? The law tells us that we need God and the prophets, the major, the minor, the books of wisdom, the apocalyptic books, all the rest of it, they all point to who? Jesus. Thousands of years these are given. We see this unfolding, and then we get to something simple that you all know. I told you it was a more preachy message today, Matthew 5, 17. Jesus simply said, I have not come to abolish the law or the prophets, but to what? Fulfill them. In a nutshell, what it means is everything you have seen and heard is so you will believe and live as I've called you to live. Not to get to heaven, but because I'm going to dwell inside of you. That's God's goal the whole time. What do you mean, Pastor? Explain it. Matthew 22, 37. When they came to Jesus and said, what is the greatest commandment? What did he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. This is the greatest commandment. Have a relationship with God. Do you have that? But the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. But what does he say in verse 40? All the law and the prophets are summarized and hang on these two commandments. Why am I still here? To love God and to love my neighbor. To die to self and die for others. To serve God, to serve other people. Well, you're cherry picking Matthew 7, 21. 
in everything. That's everything. Your profession, your struggles, your victories, your defeats. In everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. I just want to hear Jesus speak. He just did. Galatians 5.14, the entire law is fulfilled in keeping one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Paul's writing, guys, hell is breaking loose, but I'm praying for you that you be counted worthy, meaning that you believe and that you walk this out. And however you walk this out, in the midst of flames or not, in the lion's den or not, God is going to lead you. And what does he say? Well, the idea of this is that Jesus showed up and had a ministry for three and a half years. And he told us over and over, I do what I see the Father doing. So whatever that means, as Jesus withdrew day and night, as he prayed and interceded, as he laid on hands, as he spoke by faith, as he multiplied this or that, he was looking into heaven and he could see what God was doing and he was following God as God and human, amen, and he was loving on people. And Jesus told him, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I'm following God, but what does he tell all of us? As the Father has sent me, I also send who? The church in Thessalonica is here to minister. We are here to minister. Even your baggage is here. You can use that to minister. What do I say? Well, think about it like this. Andrew just preached last week that when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven, it says he will punish those who do not know God, which is radical, and do not obey the gospel of our Lord. And so let me ask you, do you know anyone who does not know God? Do you anyone who disobeys the gospel because Paul just said they will be punished? And what if after saying that, and I've got all of your attention, amen, I said, guys, I'm going to be crazy today. I'm going to be evangelistic with you. I challenge you this week to just encourage one person in the faith or share the gospel with one person or just invite one person to church. That would be crazy, right? Oh, let's pray. Should we tell people? We don't need to pray that prayer because he's already told us to go. If you know people that don't know Jesus, and if you don't want to share the gospel, invite them to church, and I will share, or you will share, someone will share, amen? Invite them to the 7 o'clock service tonight, and we will share. You're saying, Brian, where are you going? Guys, we have an amazing youth group. How many of you guys know youth who are struggling? going to get caught up in drugs, or sex, or chaos, and so much of our generation is saying, well, look where the youth is going, we'll invite them to a youth group. Invite them to a community. I'm not saying this for church growth, I'm saying it for the sake of what? Reaching people. I say all of this because what is that called? It's called evangelism. You don't need to be Billy Graham. You don't need to be Adoniram Judson or one of these famous evangelists because Jesus himself has commissioned you. It's called the Great Commission, not the Great What? Suggestion. It's a call. And I'll tell you this, please hear this. All the schemes, all the plans, all the plots, the most sophisticated preachers, the most gifted, the intellect, that is not what saves anyone. We could answer every single question for this generation, but that is not what saves them. We could win them over with love, but that is not what saves a person. All those things are necessary, but please, let me try and overly spiritualize this because we're told not to. The Bible says, what is the power of salvation? The gospel. The gospel. God wants that personal interaction with each person because he saves. And so if I follow someone because they're great or charismatic or this or that, that's on me. But the gospel's the power. I'm saying this because if you say, well, Brian, I don't feel equipped. Amen. We are not equipped. Amen. If you're trying to do this on your strength, you're missing it anyway. Get out the way. 
If you're trying to lead by your own strength in your marriage, in your home, get out the way and let the Lord do it. What did Paul pray? He said that our God may make you worthy of his calling, verse 11, and that by his what? Power. It's the power of God that leads. It's the power of God that makes them worthy. The famous saying, God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the what? Whatever you're called to do, you're empowered to. I know I'm preaching off two verses, but are you getting what I'm saying here? If we're still trying to do it out of our own strength, what do I mean? Listen to this verse in Philippians 1.3. Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Listen to verse 6. Where's his confidence? Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Paul's saying, you are being persecuted. I can hear the cries, and I'm sure there's tears, and people are freaking out, but I'm trusting in God. Philippians 2.13, it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Hebrews 13.20, may the God of peace, verse 21, equip you, church, with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him. Guys, when people come to faith, they believe and they receive what? The power of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8 says, you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you ever talk to me outside, but I seem pretty different than when I'm preaching. Amen? I mean, you think, where is this guy going? This English guy is talking all over the place. Imagine the things that I'm not saying that you would have to hear. Amen? <laughs> don't make fun of the preacher. Amen? We've seen what happened to that Elijah guy when they called him names. I'm kidding. But I say this. Some of you know that verse. Amen? I'm never preaching on that. But he says in verse 11 that the power, that through that power, he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. If you read this in the NIV, it means God is just for you, you might think. He just wants to do this and do that. But what he's saying is, when you love God, as he's at work in you, despite all we walk through, his power will be at work to lead you to lead people to him. Paul's saying, simply put, that those in Thessalonica have to trust in him, depend upon his power. He's making you worthy, and it's by faith that we live. What do I mean? Let's just say we had a, another 2,000 years ago. What happened? Let's say it took place today. Let's say persecution broke out. Have you ever seen persecution before? Couldn't I say, well, I've seen Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were persecuted. I mean, they were thrown into a fiery furnace, and what did they say? Our God is able to deliver us, but even if he does not, that's the kind of faith I have. Daniel's praying to the Lord, and the guy in charge says, if you keep praying, I'm going to put you in the lion's den. And he keeps praying. Prayer gets him in the lion's den, and prayer is what gets him out. Amen? The prophets of old were killed for their faith. John the Baptist spent 20 years alone with God for a ministry that lasted six months, and his head was cut off. All the Picture that for ministry. 20, months, 20 years alone with God for a ministry that lasted six months. John the Baptist, the apostles, all 12, aside from John, who was boiled in oil. Jesus himself, what am I saying? What we should take away from Paul today is, guys, life can get really crazy. I doubt I'm ever going to get boiled, amen? I doubt we're all going to be martyred and persecuted. But in this world, as we live, whatever God has, that's the kind of faith we want. And what I mean is, there's a call and purpose. When he says, Brian, I pray you be counted worthy, okay, Lord, whatever you have for me, I trust in that. And how do we understand this? Think about in John 4, that story of the woman at the well. 
And Jesus is going with his disciples. He's taking us with him. And he's going out there to that well. And I believe he's taking them to reach this woman. But what's really crazy about the scriptures, and you think, why is this in there? In the middle of John 4, it simply says, the disciples left to go to the town to get food. Jesus was going to minister over here, and they took off to Starbucks, in and out whatever your favorite choice is. They were missing what was happening. How do I think this is what God is saying? Because when they came back, you know what he says, John 4, 34? They've had their food, and he says, my food, what I'm eating of, what I'm tasting of, what I'm living into, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. My call, my purpose, I got up at five today. This is my call. I'm going to rest tomorrow. Amen. I'm going to go to Liverpool next week with the jet lag. Pray for me. But Jesus is saying, my food. And you say, well, what do you mean? Think about that verse in Matthew 7, 21. And really think about it. But everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, and you've heard this verse, and I'm not saying it that way, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. What does it mean I've got to do the will to get to heaven? No, what he's saying is because you believed, because you're counted worthy, the same way Jesus lived out his food is the same way you will be bent towards his will. I sit with some of you. I talk with some of you. You're bent towards. I'm not saying you're going to evangelize everyone. This isn't an evangelism message, but it kind of is now that I hear it myself. Amen. The point is that we have been given a call, and guess what? For the church in Thessalonica, that was their lot. And Paul's praying for you and believing, and you need his power to be made worthy. This is it. And he goes on. I love this. He says in verse 12, this is the goal of a church. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him. Why is the persecution? Why is the suffering? Why are all these things coming after you so his name can get glory? We are aliens in this world. We are trying so hard to be celebrated in a world that we don't belong, and we wonder why there's friction. That isn't how we win people. We love people. We stand with those who are lonely. We stand with those who are struggling. All the politics and chaos, everyone's twisting each other's arms. No. As Pastor Andrew said last week, stay in our lane. Be loving, be kind, be gracious. Yes, there's times of rebuke. Don't falter when the Bible says he made them male and female. Don't falter when God talks about when he'll return. Yes, no man knows they are the hour, but there's a season we should be watching. Don't falter on the truth that you and your walk with God. Amen? He says, we pray this so the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. Guy messaged me last night. Never met the guy, someone online. I'm in the middle of transition. Hey, I'm having a hard day. Someone on my family went online and they called me out and they said all these words I'm not going to repeat in church or outside of church, amen? And they called me this and called me that. Man, how do you deal with this? What do you mean, deal with being told off by a family member because of your faith? I mean, have you ever wrestled with this? When I came to faith, doing interviews and throwing scriptures in there or doing other things, videos and that, yeah. My own family probably thought, oh, Brian and Tracy are crazy. They're part of a cult now, amen? We see that. We see that all the time. So I was explaining to this guy who was so burdened, I just read Luke 21 to him. This is what it says. It says in Luke 21, 16, you will be, not maybe, you will be betrayed even by parent, brother, sister, relatives, and friends, and they will put some of you to death. What he's saying is the way you live, how your life is, how things unfold, you can be betrayed. And I haven't seen the next verse on any of your bumper stickers. He says this. Everyone will hate you because of me. Guys, come to church, become a believer. Guess what? People will hate you. But because of him, 
if you're being a fool, if we're being rude, if we're judging the world, and this is just, I'll tell you personally, people who are out there just picketing everything, but you're not telling them about Jesus, you're just telling them they're bad without the grace and mercy of God. You need to be telling them why it's a bad thing, why it's not of God, why it doesn't line up with all the creation. Amen? I'm saying this because he says, everyone will hate you because of me. And what does he say in verse 19? Stand firm and you will win life. Church in Thessalonica, whatever you're going through, stand firm. Whatever you walk through in here today, stand firm. But pastor, you don't know. I don't need to know. But please tell me. I'll pray. God knows. Whatever you are facing, that you would be worthy by the grace, the mercy, the power of God. And we hear this. Why is it, Paul? Why does this happen? Verse 12. So that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him. We started off by going from where Andrew was last week in 2 Thessalonians 1.9. Look what it says. It says that those who don't believe, who don't know Jesus yet, pray for them. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. They don't get to receive his glory, but they also don't get to live it and express it now. Don't just look at your life as, man, one day we're going to get to heaven, and one day we're going to have this amazing experience. You get to bear a witness to him today. Amen? What's the most popular thing online right now, being a what? Influencer. Amen? Do you know all Christians are meant to be influencers? You're an ambassador for Christ. What am I influencing them for? What am I focused on? What am I believing of for reasons other than what God has called me to do? He's saying it's all about the glory in your victories, as I've said many times, in your defeats. Colossians 1, 15 to 17 says all things that you and me were created by him and through him and for him. I sat with a gentleman the other day who was very gracious and shared part of his life. And I'll put it to you like this. He simply said, I'm going through so many things. It's the craziest time of my life. And many of my family members and friends are looking at me saying, bro, how are you walking through this? How are you navigating this? What is this power? What is this source? How are you able to get through this? And what do you think the answer is? Where did he point the glory? To God. When they look at you and you hold on and say, it doesn't make sense, but it makes sense to me. When they're in that chains, when they're in that prison, when they're going to be persecuted, makes sense to me. Paul's prayer is be bold and remain and abide. And that's where this gentleman was pointing to the glory of God. No matter how small or how radical, this is it all. It's not that we get everything we want. That's what Satan offered Jesus in Matthew 4. All he did in the garden is check this out. I'll give you something better than what God has. Two sermons preached and they believed the wrong one. Matthew 4 is the same story. Paul summarizes all of this in verse 12, and this is what we need to take from it today. Radical last weekend. I mean, Andrew's preaching these crazy verses next week on the beach, amen? 400 people eating chicken, maybe getting baptized, pretty chilly. I'll be tuning in from England, but he's going to be preaching radical verses, and I'll tell you, pray for him, pray for the gospel. When I preached there one time in Acts, people came to faith and got baptized. Pray for that next week. Invite people, amen? Paul here in verse 12 says, that all of this, I'm going to challenge us, is according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. All of this is to do with the grace. I didn't know what grace was before I was a Christian, and I'll tell you the truth. After being a Christian since 2004, I really still don't know what the grace of God is. If I was to say to you, what is the grace, what you will say is grace is God's unmerited what? Favor. But that's just a description. I don't know what it is. 
Is it the Holy Spirit? Yes. Is it his power? Yes. Is it love? Yes. Is it him wrapping his arms around you? You need to hear that? Yes. That's what the grace of God is. And go to any theologian, go wherever, and they will say, we don't really know what it is, but it's for us. Grace to you over and over and over. Here's an example, 2 Corinthians 9, 8. Please hear this. For you. Be selfish in this time, Lord. I am shaking. Things are crazy. I need to hear this. And God is able today to make all grace abound to you. Whether you're being killed for your faith, whether things just aren't making sense, whether you're just beating yourself up, all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, have all that you need and you will abound in every good way. God wants to carry and lead and protect the same way I woke to my mom being present, my dad striving and working for the things they were believing for me. God has a call and purpose for you. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, you know the story of Paul. He's before the Lord. He doesn't understand what's happening in his life. We still don't fully get it. But what does Jesus tell him face to face? My grace is, and that's when you underline those words, is. Not sometimes or maybe or can be. My grace is is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. You know, the trap for some of us is we're trying to make life this side of eternity perfect. We're still trying to escape the curse. We've either just bought those stocks or got a bunch of NFTs or started this website or went to this school. I'd have enough money and life would be easy. We escape the curse spiritually, but every day I'm going to work hard by the sweat of my brow. Sorry for my Sabbath. Amen. Women, have you given birth before? Was it still painful even though you're a believer? Amen. The point is that every day we're not trying to escape the curse. We've escaped it spiritually, but in this world we still labor and toil in the things of the flesh. He let Paul know then that my grace is enough. And look at this verse, 1 Corinthians 15, 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. A skateboarder who was divorced, suicidal, hated life, where should I have ended up but by the grace of God? Someone here today hearing the good news, but by the grace of God. Your being here is a grace. Your hearing preaching is a grace. Or having a Bible that William Tyndale was martyred to translate, by the grace of God. It's all sovereign. God's in charge. And so, so where do we hear of this? 1 Corinthians 15, 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was with not effect. The reality is we can pray, but we just pray or we can pray and believe. We can ask for grace or we can step into the grace. We can know this power. We can step into the power. Where would you end a service like this? Let's bow our heads for a moment. And I want to just ask you, out of two verses, we see clearly that Paul wanted us to know that prayer was significant. That means God wanted us to know that. What did you carry in here with you that is a burden? What are you facing or struggling that's to do with what you eat, what you'll drink, what you wear, or is to do with tomorrow or next week? What are you carrying that is not for you to carry because today there's prayer. You can know that you're worthy by what God has done. All grace can abound to you as we trust and have faith. Maybe you're even here today and you say, I don't even know Jesus. I feel so backslidden. Maybe you're here today and you realize, wait, he went to the cross for me, shed his blood, died in my place and rose again. And I hear that. I understand it. I see what Paul is preaching here. I see what you're talking about. You can get right with God today. You can say, I need forgiveness. I need redemption. The blood of Jesus wipes away every sin. You can be made whole before him. 
But I want to end as we get into a time of worship in a moment is if you need prayer for anything, we want to be a prayer like this letter where we pray. We want to pray and believe. If you need prayer for anything, be it the power of God, be it His grace, be it His mercy, be it salvation. If you need prayer for any of these things, would you just raise your hand right where you are? Amen. Anyone in here need prayer? Do you want believers to intercede on behalf of you in the heaven? Anyone need prayer? Raise up your hand. Let's just not even challenge. Let's just be real. Can you just stand right now if you raise your hand? Even if you're out there on the porch. If you need prayer for anything, let's stand up. Someone could have said, someone could have did. You could be condemning yourself. You need prayer for anything, don't hold on to it. Let it be bound to you. Anyone else, guys? And what we're going to do is just be Christians. Someone around you has stood up and needs prayer. Can we just have some people who feel comfortable go near to them and lay on hands and pray? Someone around you is standing. Go be a believer. Don't just bystand and pray for them and for everyone else. Extend your hands if need be. Begin to pray and intercede like Paul would. Say, Lord, even if you have a word for that person, God, I'm going to stand and pray. Speak verses over them. We have some people gather around those who are standing. Extend your hands. Guys, I'm going to lead us into this moment. If you want to share with the people who are praying with you, you can. If not, God knows where you are. But we want you here to feel loved. We don't want to be known because branches is a cool name based on the scriptures. We have coffee and donuts. You want to be known because we are loving on people. Amen. If you need prayer, you can stand up right where you are. Come on, guys. Look around. See who's standing now. Might need prayer. Go lay on hands. Love on them. Jesus. Guys, we have to realize that in the book of Acts, they were day in and day out going places where they needed prayer. It was radical. I'm just going to lead us into a time of prayer, but keep praying. God, we petition heaven because you want us to do that. Jesus, you have made a way. You are the high priest. You went behind the veil. That thing was torn from heaven to earth, and we have access to you. And we thank you, Jesus, for the blood, for the power of the testimony. We are ambassadors of Christ, and we pray life over everyone in this room depression, struggle, suicidal thoughts, the things that happen in this world, whether situational, chemical, all that's unfolded, the devil's schemes, his fiery darts, God, we pray over your sons and daughters. We pray life over loneliness. They don't understand we're part of the same family and we can always do better. But Lord, meet them where they are with the grace and mercy of God. Struggling marriages, struggling raising children, struggling just walking out our walks. God, we're not going to worry about what we'll eat, what we'll drink, what we'll wear. We're going to take that in our stride, but you have made a promise to your children, and God, show up and boast as you provide. We're not going to worry about tomorrow. We're going to plan, but you ordained the way. And God, you've given us a house today, given us a place to gather. Yes, it's four walls, but we are the body, and Jesus, you are the head, and we pray the anointing that's on you to trickle down, God, over your people to prepare us this week as we go, as we serve, as we encourage. Friends, I'm going to be down at the front. If you need prayer for me, there'll be people at the side walls if you need prayer for something else. If it's something so radical where you don't want to live at the end of this or that, come and see me. We will pray. As we get into
into a time of prayer. Let's just continue praying as the Lord leads.